So, as promised, here's the video. This is the first time of me doing something like that, so I hope you can cut me some slack. I mean, I'm almost a Gen Xer after all. And for all of you listening to this as a podcast, yes, there is a video, which is basically just my bearded mouth talking into the camera. Still, though, check it out on all social media, and maybe I can even, you know, work some magic and work some graphics into this. I've still got to figure out how this works, but hey. So we decided to make this extra piece of content because during our three-episode stint of debunking fake news, a friend of mine raised some pretty interesting points about the role of indigenous peoples in the constitutional draft, and I decided to dig into it. But for one, this was not so much about debunking fake news rather than getting into the weeds of this issue and try to explain what it could mean further down the road. And also, it would have totally went beyond the scope and the time limit of our podcast that we barely respect anyway, I mean, let's be honest. So let me just start with a disclaimer. Uh, I am not a lawyer, nor am I an economist, so please don't hold me to too high a standard. However, I did try to the best of my knowledge and abilities to shed some light on this issue. So if you notice that I got anything wrong or the other way around, please feel free to point it out to me. Just don't be a dick, please. That's all I'm asking for. The issue that my friend brought to my attention was the restitution of territories to the indigenous peoples of Chile as it has been laid out in the proposal for the new constitution and what kind of repercussions that this might have. So here's the deal. Article 79 talks about establishing a mechanism for the repatriation of territories to the indigenous peoples of Chile as a measure of reconciliation and re reparation. Section 3 of that paragraph defines that mechanism to be of, and I quote, public utility and general interest. Now, where have we heard that turn of phrase before? Right, just in the previous article 78 that talks about expropriation and how an expropriation can only be carried out if it is of public utility or general interest. This is one of the big hurdles for expropriation, according to the draft of the new constitution, that it's of public utility and in the general interest of the people. And by defining the repatriation mechanism in exactly that way, it takes away this hurdle. Of course, this doesn't mean that it's a free-for-all. I mean, there are still other recourses that the affected can resort to, but it's a big step towards expropriation as a measure to repatriate these territories. So this begs the question, what exactly are those indigenous territories slated for repatriation? Article 5 of the proposal recognizes 11 distinct indigenous peoples and also specifies that more might be recognized if laws are passed accordingly. So this is when my friend showed me a map of Chile with respective territories of each indigenous nation highlighted in a different color and it pretty much covered what seemed like around 70% of the entire map. A lot of land that people are worried might just get handed over to the indigenous peoples of Chile. So I think it's fair to worry here and ask, wait, if the repatriation clause already fulfills the primary requirement for expropriation, how can we be sure that in the end more than half the country's landmass won't be handed back to the indigenous nations, where our democratically elected government doesn't really have 100% jurisdiction? The central question in this case is, what are those territories? Because this is something that is not defined in the draft of the new constitution. Now, this has left some people freaking out, and even Argentina started shitting bricks because part of the historical Mapuche territory, which is also called Guaymapu, is on Argentinian soil. Therefore, as with other things that are not explicitly defined by the Constitution, 
what exactly constitute, uh, constitutes indigenous territories will be defined by law later on. In fact, the same Article 79 of the new constitutional draft says that the state must establish, and I quote, efficient legal instruments for the registry, regularization, demarcation, certification, reparation, and restitution of the lands. And this is about the point where professional opinions start to diverge, because there are several interpretations as to what this will mean. On the one hand, we have people like Alfredo Moreno, ex-minister under the Piñera administration, who criticizes the norm for not being specific enough in terms of what these territories are and what counts as quote-unquote traditionally used resources provided by these lands, which the indigenous people will also have a right to according to the new constitution and who they will be handed to. The draft of the new constitution explicitly recognizes the indigenous communities as nations and even grants them their own judicial systems and this might well imply the existence of a central authority of each indigenous group that the state would have to hammer out these territorial repatriations with. As things are now, the land purchases by the states by the state are being handed over to indigenous communities. But the emphasis here is on communities. There are like 4,000 separate indigenous communities in the Araucania region alone. So, will there be a central indigenous administrative apparatus to take charge, or how is this going to work, you know? Law professor and constitutional forum member Sebastián Donoso criticized the same points and is also worried about the very broad scope of interpretation that this would allow for. He's also concerned that since, by definition, the indigenous territories will be subject to expropriation under the new constitution, this might give rise to the wrong incentives, especially in the Araucania region, where certain groups might be tempted to increase the violence in order to force the state's hand to expropriate and repatriate certain territories in order to keep the peace. Now, on the other side of the argument, there are people like José Antonio Vieragallo, who was coordinator of indigenous matters during the first Bachelet administration. And he really doesn't see the problem here because what counts as indigenous territories and what not is already clearly defined in the so-called indigenous law or law 19,253. Now I had a look at this law and pretty much gave up as soon as I started because it's chock full with cross-references to other laws and decrees, basically saying indigenous territories are those that fulfill such and such conditions according to this and that law, and it's, you know, it didn't really give me a good idea of how much land we're talking about here. But I did find out something, and it has to do with this state institution called Konadi. Because the idea of returning lands to Chile's indigenous peoples is nothing new. In fact, Chile has been buying back lands and returning them to indigenous communities since the passing of the indigenous law and the founding of the Konadi in 1993. The difference now is that if the new constitution passes, the judicial framework of these buybacks changes because then Chile will be committed to returning those lands and can even make use of the quote-unquote nuclear option of expropriations if it deems it necessary. So I was trying to find out, according to the Konadi's registries, how much territory has already been returned to the indigenous communities and how much more is shortlisted. And you know, I couldn't really find a database or anything of the sort online, 
but it did stumble upon an investigation by La Tercera in 2021, which reported that since the return to democracy, the state has returned more than 212,000 hectares to indigenous communities. Then there's also a press then also in a press conference earlier this year, the social development and family minister Janet Vega stated that they currently have 926 plots of land shortlisted with a total area similar to all the territories that have been repatriated until today. So up to now, 212,000 hectares have been returned to the indigenous communities times two is 424,000 hectares. Now, I've read in another place that the total claim is actually more around 650,000 hectares. So let's just go with that. Let's just play it safe. Now, just to put this into perspective, 650,000 hectares are 6,500 square kilometers. The total area of Chile without the Antarctic territory is 756,960 square kilometers. So these 6,500 square kilometers are 0.86% of Chile's total land mass. That's not even 1%. This is significantly less than what you'd think looking at one of these maps that show you the geographic expansion of Chile's indigenous groups. But what I think these maps mostly show is, is where the different indigenous peoples have historically settled throughout history. But this doesn't necessarily mean that it is someone, uh, you know, something that would lay claim to nowadays. Okay, so personal opinion time now. Honestly, I don't think that the government is going to throw out the baby with the bathwater when it comes to defining what these territories are. Because when asked about it, Social Development and Family Minister Janet Vega already made clear that they don't intend to redo the land surveys to redefine what constitutes an indigenous claim to a territory and whatnot. This is something that the previous Pineda administration has pushed for, but the current administration doesn't see the necessity for this. Her argument was the CONADI already has all that information, so no need to do it again. From there, I think it follows that the government will make use of these registries when it is eventually forced by the new constitution to establish a mechanism for the land repatriations. But as I said, even all the current claims taken together are less than 1% of Chile's land mass. And even if those double or triple, I mean, it's, it's still not a significant number. Also, from a financial perspective, a lot of these claims, particularly by the Rapanui, Kaweska, Aymara, Yagan, are territories that belong to the state anyway. Though, I mean, granted, things would get a bit more complicated with the Mapuche, of course, because a big part of those lands are owned by private companies now. But, you know, just for the sake of argument, let's say that the government decides not to stick to the registry of the Gonadi, say that they're totally going to start from scratch, defining what constitutes an indigenous land claim and whatnot. Even then, there's absolutely no way that the government will allow for like 70% or, or more of Chile's landmass to be handed over to 12% of the population that the indigenous peoples constitute. Constitute. Like, because if that happened, first of all, the streets would be on fire and people would burn down La Moreda, you know? And second of all, this would make absolutely no sense, neither politically nor economically. And I believe I don't have to spell out why. Also, let's not forget here that expropriation is the absolute last resort, only because these repatriations are defined as being of general interest and public utility and therefore meet the requirements to be considered for expropri expropriations doesn't necessarily mean that the state will follow through with that. And even then, remember that there are still significant hurdles to be taken before something can be expropriated. 
the government would have to deal with huge companies like CMPC, Surlat, and so on, that will most definitely make use of their right to challenge the decision in court, and with their deep pockets, they will fight the government tooth and nail. And let's not forget that in the event of an expropriation, the government can't just take it away from them, but they will have to indemnify the uh, affected companies. The proposal of the new constitution clearly defines that they will have to pay a quote-unquote just price, which actually under certain circumstances might even be above market price. And if that wasn't enough, the proposal also dictates that this payment will have to take place beforehand. Like not being able to pay off the affected parties in installments, but having to front the entire sum will be a significant jaw to the government's coffers and liquidity, so this is something that they're going to consider twice before following through. I think it will be in everybody's, but mostly the government's, best interest to continue with the land buyback scheme through the Konavi as they've always had, because it's more low-key and it has less potential for conflicts and bad press. Simple as that, you know. And remember that just a few months ago, they dramatically, the current government dramatically increased the budget for the buybacks. So I think it's fair to believe that they did that considering the possible ramifications shall the new constitution be accepted in the referendum. And, you know, also about that argument that one of the experts made before, uh, you know, that the possibility of land expropriations would incentivize, incentivize more violent behavior by indigenous fringe groups to force the government's hand. I don't think it holds much water because you could make the case that they could have employed the same tactics already to speed up the land buybacks by the Gunadi. I'm not saying that the government will completely forfeit the option of expropriations, but it most likely is going to be the absolute last resort for them. Personally, I think one of the most important hypotheticals that nobody really seems to consider is... What would it mean for Chile if we are to give back all that land to the indigenous communities? Like, what would it mean for the economy, for the businesses operating there? I think for the state, this is not so much a territorial issue, because remember that the new constitution explicitly does not allow for any territories to secede from what is the Republic of Chile. I think for the government, it is more of a financial and economic issue. For one thing, these buybacks cost money. Not so much for certain claims in the Cahuesca or Ayamara territories, as those mostly belong to the state anyway, as I've already mentioned. But especially the buybacks or even the expropriations in the Mapuche territories are going to cost them lots of money. This is also why the former head of the Konadi, Domingo Naunkura, said that this will definitely be a gradual process that will spread out over 15 to 20 years, buying back between 25 and 30 plots of land per year. Another thing is the economic dimension of this issue. I think it's naive to assume that as soon as these territories are being returned to their respective communities, all economic activity will cease and all these big corporations will have to leave with a tail between their legs. These regions still need tax revenue, still need services provided, still need their people to be, you know, employed. So it is in the best interest of all parties involved businesses, the local communities and the government to hammer out agreements on how to continue coexisting. Yes, the indigenous communities will then have a lot more to say in how business is conducted and are likely to crack down on unsustainable business practices such as unchecked deforestation and on those business practices that directly affect the traditional way of living. But at the end of the day, 
these people are still part of a modern society that needs to put food on the table at the end of the day, you know? Speaking of the indigenous peoples being part of a modern society, the Center for Public Studies recently made the result of a recent poll among Mapuche's public, and it turns out that 72% of the respondents that identified themselves as Mapuche said that they also feel Chilean. According to Leonidas Montes, who is the director of the institute, in previous polls, the Mapuches felt a lot stronger towards their, their indigenous identity than towards being Chilean. So this is evolving, as previously a lot more people identified themselves solely as Mapuche. Moreover, 70% were against the idea of creating a Mapuche nation state. So to be fair, also only 14% of the respondents that identified as Mapuche agreed with the idea of a plurinational state, whereas a majority of 54% favored a nation state without cultural differentiation. Either way, I think this growing tendency of the Mapuche people to also identify as Chileans and the very clear re rejection of an independent Mapuche nation state should assuage the popular fear of budding separatist aspirations by the Mapuche people, even if a new constitution would grant them more autonomy. If anything, and in spite of the majority of the polled Mapuche people not being in favor uh, of a plurinational state, I think that the proposal of the new constitution granting them more autonomy could actually be a powerful tool to help mitigate the conflict in the Araucania region, because a it would position the Chilean state more clearly as an ally of the Mapuche and win over the hearts of the general Mapuche population. And this in turn would challenge the standing of more radical Mapuche groups such as the CAM or the WAM, which have tried to position themselves as the true defenders of the Mapuche cause. Secondly, granting the Mapuche more autonomy in these areas also means granting them more agency. In other words, the responsibility to ensure law and order would also rest on the shoulders of local authorities. And given that more than half of the region, region's population unequivocally condemns the violence in that area, local authorities have a great deal of responsibility towards their constituents to put an end to this violence. All right, so I hope you guys enjoyed this video. And if you have any questions, comments or corrections, just please let me know. So this is Lenny from about, I'd say a week after we published the video online and uh, the feedback has been interesting. There have been a couple of discussions, a few not so productive, but a couple of rather productive discussions that I've had on social media. And actually, as a result of one of these discussions, I felt compelled to release a little addendum to the video I made because there were a few things that I did not take into consideration or wasn't aware of at the time of making the video. So basically, for the sake of completeness, for the sake of being correct and having integrity, if you will, I just want to mention these two things that came um, to light while I was having this very educative discussion. So one thing is that I said that uh, the total land claims of indigenous people was around 650,000 hectares, which is not quite correct because it depends a little bit on the definition of uh, what you would consider a land claim. From what I understand, according to the Konadi, uh, yes, the land claims are about 650,000 hectares, but 
the Conadi use, used, uses as a base the land titles of the so-called uh, Titulus de Merced, which were something kind of like prearranged between the indigenous people and the government. So it's kind of like what the government and the indigenous people already agreed upon previously. The thing is that in reality, a lot of the indigenous people's land claims what they actually want to have go way, way, way beyond that. A friend of mine actually showed me a document from the uh, Ministry of uh, Public Works, I think you would translate it, Ministerio de Obras Públicas, who was, uh, that, that basically showed me, okay, this is what we consider or what we are aware of in terms of the claims of the indigenous peoples. And that is just millions and millions of hectares. And that comes actually a lot closer to the, let's say, 70% of Chilean land mass that I was talking about. So that's one thing. That's just the difference between the Titulus de Merced and the actual land claims, which still have to be negotiated. The other thing I wanted to correct is that I said that in an interview with uh, Janet Vega, um, the government said that they did not plan on basically redoing the land surveys, which was not wrong. It was correct at the time that they said it. However, a few days after that interview, and I wasn't aware of that, the Constitutional Convention voted in favor of a transitory norm that would establish a indigenous territorial commission that would have the job for, you know, during the next four to six years, I think, to basically redo the whole land survey. The, this commission will be made up of... Um, selected um, or basically elected representatives of the indigenous peoples, of the indigenous communities, as well as government representatives and experts appointed by the president. So there's that. So basically there will be a new land survey, how this is going to go out. That's anybody's guess really, but it's not like the current government will stick to the uh, land surveys already done by the CONADI because this has been basically overruled by the decision of the new constitution, if the new constitution will be approved, of course. That's that's always the big caveat here. So yeah, those are just the two little corrections that I wanted to make. Personally, it does not change my personal opinion on the matter, but I think it's an important factor that you need to take into consideration if you want to form your opinion. So that will be it. Thanks and till next time. Bye.